0: Welcome to Live Well with Southwell. Southwell is dedicated to helping you be equipped with the best tools and knowledge to make sure you and your family live a healthy life. Live Well with Southwell features interviews with experts across many areas of healthcare and wellness. We hope you enjoy listening and most importantly, living well. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Liza Tillman, and today we are joined by Dorothy Ajapong, nurse practitioner with Affinity Pediatrics and Moultrie. Dorothy is here today to discuss the various behavioral health issues that can affect children, as well as the services she provides at Affinity Pediatrics and Moultrie. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dorothy. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about your uh, family, where you're from, and your educational background? Sure. Thank you for having me this morning. Yeah. I'm from
1: Adel, Cook County. That's Adel, baby. (laughs) Born and raised, Mm -hmm. 11 siblings. I was the youngest. Unfortunately, we've had two siblings that are now
0: Um, going on, Yeah.
1: sister and a brother. And, of course, I did all my education there in Cook County, Mm -hmm. went to school after I graduated from high school, Valdosta State, got my Bachelor of Science there. And then, of course, while I was pursuing that, during the summer, I did an internship at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Oh, wow. At that time, it was just Eggleston yeah. Children's mm-hmm. Hospital. And I loved it during the summer intern. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. when I finished, they offered me a position. Wow! And I went there and stayed there for 13 years, worked at Eventually, they changed it to Children's Health Care of Atlanta. Worked there for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then while I was pursuing my nurse practitioner, I worked there. Once I finished, got into primary care. Okay, Stayed in primary care for about three years. Did a little urgent care. Then my mother got sick. Mm -hmm. Of course, my father had deceased in 99. Decided to move back to Adel to be closer to her and to help her. And eventually... Uh, Was not able to get a job working as a nurse when I first came back, Mm -hmm. but worked as a registered nurse and eventually got a job, had to go all the way to Lake City. Oh, goodness. Then eventually (laughs) moved to Omega Mm -hmm. and was working at Children's Medical Center. Eventually ended in Columbus.
0: (laughs) My goodness. Columbus
1: Regional (laughs) Hospital and then migrated back here. Okay. So- I'm now working for Southwell.
0: Yes, yes. It.
1: Southwell, been there almost two years. February would be two years. Okay, so you're glad to be closer to home? Most definitely.
0: Yeah, well, that's wonderful. We're so glad to have you. Where is the practice located in Moultrie?
1: If you can find Cockroach Regional Medical Center, mm-hmm. we're right down the road. It's three thousand and seven, Second Street South okay. Moultrie. And it's right down the street from Cockroach Regional. Well, actually, if you're right in front of, Cocker Regional, just look down by Covenia Care, the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. We're right down that road. Okay. And so we're right there on the left hand side. I always just tell people <laughs> to look for that blue tin roof. There we go, blue that's, tin that's roof. There we are. <laughs> so.
0: All right. Well, who else do you practice with at Affinity Pediatrics?
1: I am under Dr. Randy Tatum, mm-hmm. she's my supervising physician. And then, of course, we have two nurses on staff that are licensed practical nurses. Mm -hmm. We have two front office individuals, Mm -hmm. like clerk receptionist, receptionist, and then the practice manager.
0: Okay. So what services are offered at Affinity Pediatrics, and what ages do you see? We see
1: from newborn all the way up to 18. Okay. And we offer primary care where there's preventive health Health promotion, health wellness, vaccinations. We see acute illnesses, whether it's from strep, colds, flu. Now we got COVID on board. That's so right. We're seeing and testing for that. We okay. also help manage chronic conditions like asthma. Mm-hmm. We see kids uh, commonly that have um, allergies. So we help manage that as well. So we also take care of some chronic Ill- illnesses or conditions as well.
0: Okay. Let's see. So can you tell us a little bit about the training and certification you've received in pediatric behavioral health? This is a pretty specialized area that you're in. So can you tell me about that?
1: Let me just give you a little backdrop into why I got into it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Years ago, I always knew that every child that came into the office and even though they exhibited signs or symptoms of ADHD, Mm -hmm. it wasn't ADHD. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I knew it was something else, but I just didn't know how to get that word out mm-hmm. to others, especially those that I was mm-hmm. practicing with. So as I continued to see it, I felt like children are experiencing other things other than ADHD mm-hmm. and I want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Our role, especially as healthcare providers, anytime we um are in that situation, we're told to refer. I would see kids that I would refer, mm-hmm. whether it's for counseling or whatever other mental health services that they need, and they would end up right back in the office because, yeah. as we know, 75% of the kids who suffer with some form of mental health, we see them in primary care. Yeah, And being in this rural area, a lot of our patients were told to go to distances outside of their control. They would say, that's too far. I can't get there. It's just not going to work for me. So it's like, what do you do at this point?
0: So they weren't getting the care that they needed. Not at all. Yeah.
1: And so that pushed me Mm -hmm. because it's like now you're coming right back and we're dealing with the same thing all over again. Yeah. So that pushed me to say, I got to do more. I want to do more. We're limited with mental health services in this area, especially pretty much all over the world. Mm -hmm. We're very limited with psychiatrists and mental health providers. So that is what pushed me, gave me the drive to say, I need to do more to help the patients. And so as far as the certification, because I had already had over 11 years of just working with these type of patients in my form of capacity, Mm -hmm. I needed to have at least 3000 hours of working with some form of behavior help, whether it's autism, ADHD, If you're seeing kids that you are talking to with anxiety or depression, they wanted to know that you're doing some form of behavior help screening. So it took that, plus I did a course through Ohio State University, which is called KISSES, and that was like a mental health fellowship. So I did that course, which led me to be able to have or meet the the guidelines to qualify to be able to go and take the boards. So as part of the pediatric certified nursing boards, which I was able to get my nurse practitioner certification Mm -hmm. through, they have the mental health track. Okay. So, because I met the eligibility, I went and took the certifying boards in November of last year, and thank goodness it passed. Yeah. And now I'm able to practice as a pediatric mental health nurse specialist. So, that is wonderful. That is what drove me because even now I'm seeing kids that come in the office, and a lot of times you think, oh, they're just here for a cold, or they're just here Mm -hmm. because of, oh, my ear hurt. The parent would end up saying, Little Johnny isn't paying attention in school. Little Johnny is acting up, being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Tell me what I need to do. Wow. And that ends up into not only just a common illness um, visit, now we're dealing with behavioral health.
0: That's right. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question. So we're here today to discuss those um, behavioral health issues that can affect children. So can you tell us what, you mentioned a few, but what are those issues that can affect children? That you, that you can help with?
1: Well, some of the issues that we see commonly is anxiety mm-hmm. and depression. As I mentioned earlier, ADHD. Sometimes we even see kids with opposition defiant disorder or ADD, kids with autism. Mm-hmm. And so what my role is and what healthcare providers role is, is to be able to hear that cue from the parent to say, uh-oh, something is going on and I need to take the time to screen. For me, what I normally do, every visit is recommended by the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, is that you screen at every visit to see whether or not there's some concern with anxiety Mm. or depression. And the screening tool that I use is called the Pediatric Symptom Checklist, and I normally start that from age four all the way up. And that gives us an idea to see if there's any problems with inattention, if it's ADHD, Mm -hmm. if it's internalizing risk factors, like I'm I'm crying, I'm sad, I'm emotional. Mm-hmm. If it's external, I'm acting out, I'm hitting others, I'm aggressive. So it gives you an opportunity to, to be able to assess for conduct disorder, opposition defiant disorder, inattention um, or attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, anxiety, and depression. Wow. We also use... With the American Academy of Pediatrics, the depression screen, Mm -hmm. which is recommended starting at age 12 all the way up until 18 or 21, we see them. And we use that to assess for depression, but kids under the age of 12 can exhibit depression and anxiety. So the pediatric symptom checklist allows me to be able to assess and screen for those individuals under the age of 12. There's also a screening form called the SCARED which okay. looks more in death and anxiety because okay. there's different forms of anxiety. Sure. So that allows us to be able to hear from the parent and the child what's going on with them emotionally.
0: So would you say, I think when we all think of um, behavioral health issues with children, um, would you say the most common one is ADHD or is that just kind of the most talked about one right now? It's the most
1: talked about. Yeah. <laughs> and this was the other thing that I've dealt with in the past. Because I knew, like I said earlier, not every child that came in with ADHD symptoms Mm -hmm. had ADHD.
0: Okay. This could also
1: look like anxiety and depression. Okay. But because a lot of times that's what most parents gear their mind towards is ADHD. They come in and they say, my child got ADHD and I need my prescription. Right, right, When we delve more, we do a thorough history and examination. We find out that, no. Your symptoms, the child is exhibiting symptoms that may look like ADHD, but there are some other things that are a concern. Mm-hmm. And anxiety and depression and opposition find disorder can look just like ADHD. So okay. that's why it's so important to take the time to make sure that you get your history, you get your assessment, mm-hmm. so that you can make the appropriate assessment and diagnosis so you can manage accordingly. But not every child that has symptoms of ADHD is ADHD.
0: So what is the, the course of treatment if if you determine they have ADHD, if you determine they have anxiety or depression? What does that look like for, I think we kind of, we're used to, to knowing what to expect from adults, but what does that look like for children? For children, if it's ADHD, we have to do a screening.
1: Mm-hmm. And the screening forms that we use is called the Vanderbilt. There are others that can be used like Conner's or the Brown scale. But for us, we use the Vanderbilt. So when a mother comes in, we get our history, we ask questions, Mm -hmm. we give them the Vanderbilt form. And the Vanderbilt form is broken down into about, I believe, like 46 questions. And it looks at not only attention deficit, it looks at opposition defiant, Mm -hmm. it looks at anxiety, it looks at depression. And so it breaks it down. The first nine has to do with inattention then the other nine, which is a total of 18 that we're screening for ADHD, looks at hyperactivity and pulsivity. Okay. So we use the Vanderbilt. Once we get the Vanderbilt from the mom and, and the teacher, mm-hmm. then we can come back together to say, this is what we think is going on. Okay. And if it's ADHD, depend on the age, mm-hmm. the recommendation for children, especially under the age of six, is to do behavioral intervention. And that is basically what can you do at home or at school or daycare to help the child's symptoms. It it may be giving them more Mm one-on-one, allowing them more time to complete assignments, Mm -hmm. giving them no short breaks, Mm -hmm. redirecting them whenever they get off focus and lose concentration. So there are some things that the teacher can do as well as the mom can do at home. If it's a situation where it's really impacting their their educational, yeah. like their performance, or it's impacting their life, their social life. It's impacting my relationship with my family, with my mm-hmm. friends. Then we may want to try pharmacological therapy, and that is in the form of stimulants. Okay, which we commonly use methamphetamine or we use amphetamines. Sometimes we use adrenergic um, medications like clonidine or guanfacine, mm-hmm. and we use. Um, stratera which is a medication that can be used too so we try to figure out the timing of the symptoms what's best do we need an extended release do we need a short acting Mm -hmm. you know so that way it kind of guides you about what's the best medicine to use out of all the medicines that are available yeah. So but behavior intervention is really the first place to start. I was
0: going to say it seems like parents may just jump to oh we just need to put them on meds exactly. and just fix the problem but there's there's multiple behavior steps to that. Yeah.
1: And now we're getting some kickback even when insurance is like kids that are diagnosed around the age of 5 under the age of 6 it's recommended you have to show proof that you have tried behavior intervention. Okay, if you've tried behavior intervention for some months, yeah and it's not working, then we can talk about going on medications, but the first line of therapy is behavior intervention, okay, okay, so when it comes to anxiety, depression depends on the severity of mm-hmm. it. How much is it really affecting my life? Where is recommended? we call it cognitive behavior therapy mm-hmm. and One of the programs that we use in our office is called COPE. It's creating opportunities for personal empowerment. And it helps individuals with anxiety, depression. If you have substance use disorders or if you have eating disorders, it's recommended that you do cognitive behavior therapy Mm -hmm. before you just go to medications. Yeah. If medications have to be used, it's still recommended that they do some form of cognitive behavior therapy. Yeah. Using both of those in those instances, whether it's pharmacologic or CBT, if you use them combined, it's more effective than just using just the medicine and no CBT.
0: Right. So are you guys setting up the therapy with them, like for for a therapist outside of your office, or is that something they're coming to see you for? Or are you just managing the meds and kind kind of following up with them on that?
1: As a mental health specialist, I have gotten licensure into doing the counseling through COPE. Okay. And so I am able to do the counseling mm-hmm. sessions. And with the counseling sessions, it's a total of seven. Okay. It's recommended that they come every week, but some of our families can't come every week. Yeah. They may say I can come every other week. Mm-hmm. That's the most I try to let them go is every other week. Sure. So as a mental health specialist, yes, if I assess a situation, diagnose it, whether it's ADHD or anxiety and depression, I manage it. Okay. If it's something more, because depression can also be bipolar, it can also be dysthymia, or it can be disruptive mood, dysregulation, there's different forms of depression. Yeah. Something outside of that that requires a little bit more screening, mm-hmm. I have to refer them to a psychiatrist. Okay. What hopefully we are working on, and hopefully we will get to this point, is to have a psychiatrist that I can work under. Okay. And yeah. that will allow us to be able to manage those other common problems like right. bipolar and and schizophrenia mm-hmm. and yeah. some of the other type of mental disorders that we have to refer out for.
0: Okay. But there's definitely things that you guys can handle that you can handle. Right. Right there in Moultrie, in the office, don't have to go to Tallahassee or have to go to Atlanta exactly. for things like that. Exactly. So, that's great. We've talked a little bit about anxiety and depression, but... How does that manifest in children? Is that different than in teens and adults? Because I think we all have kind of a picture of what depression looks like. It's, you know, I'm I'm lethargic and I'm sad and uh, don't really want to do anything and things like that. Does it show up differently in children, especially younger children? It does. And so let me just start. It can even
1: manifest itself in infancy. This really? is something I didn't know wow. until... I started doing my training Mm -hmm. that, oh, it can show up in infancy. What do I see? Because we know infants can't tell you anything. They really, we know that they're going to cry. Yeah. So it's very difficult to really know if they're depressed. But in infancy, they can have problems with sleeping. They can have problems with feeding. They can have problems with attachment. You know, they don't give you that good eye contact Mm -hmm. and extremely irritability. Those are signs of depression that can manifest in infants. In toddlers, they become more aggressive. Mm-hmm. They can regress. They have more of the, the temper tantrums. Yeah. Sometimes they don't want to sleep. I really need that attention. They are do attention seeking type behaviors. Mm-hmm. In children, especially school age children, we start to see more somatic symptoms. When I see a child that comes in for chronic headache and stomach ache, and sometimes they have had all kind of tests from abdominal x-rays yeah. to urine tests they have have had the slew of labs still can't get to the bottom of the abdominal pain mm-hmm. then i start to say maybe this is not something that's pathologic it may be emotional it may wow. be psychological so as a healthcare provider, I have to put that also as top in my mind mm-hmm. when a child comes in with abdominal pain. I'm not just looking at is this something medical. Mm-hmm. This can also be something psychological. Yeah. Headaches as well is something that we commonly see. Kids have problems with focusing, mm-hmm. inattention, distraction, poor problems with concentration. You see how someone with anxiety or depression, it looks like ADHD. Right, yeah. When, in fact, it can be anxiety or depression. If it's anxiety, they internalize those emotions. They don't really come out and tell you, this is what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they internalize it. They are sad. They're crying. They're acting out. A lot of kids will say to a mother or to the teacher, you don't like me.
0: Mm. Nobody
1: likes me. Nobody wants me here. I don't want to be here. Yeah. And then in the teens, we see more what we call anhedonia which is I'm tired all the time. I don't have energy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go and talk to my friends on the phone. I don't want to hang out with my family mm-hmm. and my friends. I want to sleep more. Sometimes I sleep less. Sometimes I don't sleep at all. My appetite might change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I might not want to eat. I may want to eat more.
0: Yeah.
1: And then we have problems with concentration. We have problems with focusing. We have problems with performance in school. We don't want to do well in school. We can't do well in school. We worry all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, some kids would come out and tell you, what if this happens? We have kids that worry with separation anxiety. I don't want to leave mom because what if this happens to my mom? Yeah. So those are things that you come in and see. They're always worrying, and that intensity just gets worse because they're thinking about it all the time, and it becomes part of their life. It starts to affect every aspect of their life, with their relationships and school and their family. So when it starts to affect all of those aspects, then we need to look further and help and manage.
0: So I think this could probably be another podcast talking about depression and anxiety itself, but it's so interesting to me that you said that it can show up in infants. So is depression truly a chemical imbalance in the brain? Is that where that comes from? I know I've heard that before. Is it... Obviously, with infants, they don't, they haven't experienced a sad event or something like that. So is that how it works? It can. There are several causes for depression.
1: One of it can be one of the most common ways that it manifests itself is in the brain Mm -hmm. because of some of the neurotransmitters the brain do not get enough of. Mm -hmm. And so that leads to depression. However, it can also be social factors. I know you were saying that uh, even a baby may not be sad, but sometimes we have to screen for this too, maternal depression. Because if you have a mother that's suffering or experiencing depression herself, she may push that infant away and may not attach. Wow. And that child can feel that. Wow. My mom doesn't want me. My mom doesn't want to love me. Hmm. My mom doesn't want to cling to me. And so a baby can feel that, and that can Goodness. cause depression in the child. So neglect is another one. Yeah. If a mother is stressed, she's constantly screaming. Um, constant, the mother is experiencing her own um, issues, whether it's domestic violence, and the infant is exposed to that, Yeah. some form of violence, and they're seeing this, that creates depression in the child. Wow. And so we have to look for that, too. What is that social situation it, a, a social situation like? Do they have water? Is mom financially able to, to support the child? Mm-hmm. Who else is around this child? If you got a child that is always going to this house, that house, right. over here, the There's child stability. is finding it mm-hmm. very hard. Where do I bond? Who do I bond with? Yeah. I see all these faces, and I'm, I'm not really able to bond with any particular one. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, too. So being able to really look at the whole aspect of the child yeah. not just the physical aspect but what's going on socially what's creating this so it can be social factors it can be genetics yeah so that's another thing we're seeing more commonly kids are exposed the parents who who are who use substances mm-hmm. substance use disorders yeah That puts them at risk. Traumatic disorders. Some of our families have experienced disasters or trauma from natural disasters, whether it's hurricanes, Mm -hmm. whether it's been earthquakes, whatever the situation has been, they experience that too. Mm -hmm. If the mother and father don't have a good relationship, that creates a problem. Some of our kids are carrying a lot of burden because of what they experience at home. Yeah. That creates anxiety. That creates depression.
0: Dorothy, you have a really big job to do. <laughs> it, it I, I entails a lot. I can see why you uh, <laughs> you were so passionate about going into that because I think you're right. I think we usually think of just going to see the pediatrician mm-hmm. to get the shots and to you know make sure that we're checking for all these things. But you you have to see the big picture. And I started to see the big picture because, like, I would see kids that would
1: come in with chronic abdominal pain, and I said, "Well, they've had all these labs and all these tests." And everything is fine. What is really going on? Mm-hmm. And for the older kids, especially if they're in their teens, sometimes it takes pulling the parent outside of the room yeah. and talking to the child alone. Because with some certain situations, they may not feel comfortable
0: talking yeah.
1: and opening yeah. up yeah. in front of the parent. So even during the counseling sessions, I give the children, which my counseling sessions start at age 7 and up, okay. I give them the opportunity to say, do you want mom to be here, mm-hmm. or do you want to be alone? And a lot of times they'll say, I want to be alone. Wow. Because they just don't want to hear mom, because sometimes mom yeah. tends to yeah. say, This uh-huh. is how uh-huh. little Johnny is feeling. <laughs> but little Johnny isn't feeling that way. Right, right. So I want to hear little Johnny's voice. I hear from the parents. That's then right. I say, I want to hear how you feel. Tell me how you feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes I have them to draw out how they feel because they may not be able to tell you. Yeah. So I say, take this piece of paper, pen or pencil, draw. Tell me how you, what you Mm -hmm, feel today. mm -hmm. And that explains, I have kids that'll draw a sad face. Oh. And I say, we need to talk about this sad face. Yeah. So that's what it entails. Wow. It's being able to put the whole picture together and to give them the resources that they need, because sometimes parents don't know how to really help their child. Yeah, They, don't, they, don't, they themselves may not have the right coping skills, mm-hmm. so to help their child may yeah. be limited. So it's our role to not only to help the child, but to help the
0: parent. Well, you you've given me a lot of a lot of information I, I I did not know about, and I wasn't expecting to to learn so much about it. But um, what is your role with the uh, the school counselor and the teachers? How how does that play in?
1: Hopefully, we can get to a point because as a mental health specialist, one of the unique roles is that I can be an advocate or liaison yeah. between the school and the parents. Mm-hmm. And right now, we're working on that because okay. there's been a situation where it's like. They come in, I give them my advice and I say, this is what I want you to go to school and let them know. Yeah. And they always say, I need a letter. I need right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, say, I have to be careful,
1: uh-huh. but you got school counselors there. And if the school counselors need to contact me, mm-hmm. then we can talk. Yeah. But I do advise accordingly. Okay. So I am like that liaison. Yeah. And they know in Moultrie that I am a mental health specialist. Mm-hmm. And most of the patients that come to me, I'm going to go back and say, go tell them this. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we can do, whether it's get an IEP, which is an individualized educational plan, mm-hmm. or a 504 plan. Okay. So your child really needs more one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And they take that. Okay. And and that's the role that we have, being yeah. that liaison.
0: Yeah. How do your patients usually come to you? Are they getting referred from the school counselors, parents or is it like you said through your screenings that you do in the office? Because most of our
1: patients are already established mm-hmm. and the screening I normally start by you know doing the screenings age four and up which we do um, anytime they come to the office regardless of what they're there for. That's how a lot of the patients end up being referred into the counseling program by word of mouth. Yeah, Once I'm Doing a session with a family, word of mouth has really helped to get the word out that we are actually doing this. Yeah. And that has been more beneficial than anything. Right. And then, of course, the advertisement that we get. Okay. I'm sure even with this podcast. Yeah. That helps, too. Yeah. But most importantly is word of mouth. We've also done flyers. And a lot of the flyers that people get, they see the Mm -hmm. services that we offer, and they come Okay. So now we're seeing. I have patients on the list I've never seen before. <laughs> don't know where they're coming from. Yeah. Their first visit is behavioral health. Wow. Or so they'll say it, we're coming in for counseling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do they know that we were here? Yeah. And it's word of mouth.
0: Well, and that's got to be the the biggest thing is that somebody's had a success story and with a child that they've been struggling mm-hmm. with. And and like you said, it sounds like parents just we they just don't know what to do. And mm-hmm. so um, to to be able to have this. Like we said right here in Moultrie, that's that's amazing. And then they go and tell everybody else, "Hey, she did a, a wonderful job with little Johnny, and and now we're you know maybe not totally out of the mm-hmm. woods, but you're in a you're in a better spot." And what would you say your goal is um, for these children when they come into you? Is is it to completely take everything away, or is it to just make quality of life better? Or what what what's your goal when you meet with them?
1: As I explained to children and parents, I want to be able to help the parents. So that they would know how to manage, what to look for, how to help their child at home. Mm -hmm. But also, I want to be able to give them the coping skills that they need, not only in the life stage where they are now, but when they become adults. That's right. Because as I always share with them, you're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. And so the way you deal with it now... Is the way you're going to learn to deal with it when you become adults. Mm-hmm. So my goal for them is to give them or equip them with life coping skills mm-hmm. that they will have. So when they are adults, they would know how to live, how to be productive, mm-hmm. how to have that quality of life, yeah, how to be able to take care of every aspect of their life. And what I always stress, we have to have a balance. And when I talk to kids about equilibrium. <laughs> and I tell them homeostasis, you know, these yeah. are all medical terms. And I tell them if your social life isn't balanced and your educational life is balanced, financial life is balanced, religion or spiritual aspect is balanced. If one aspect of it is off balance, it's going to throw everything off.
0: That's right. Yes. It's like
1: being on a pendulum. Mm-hmm. So you got to have balance. Mm-hmm. So I'm there to practice
0: holistically so that they can have balance yeah. in every continuum of life. That is wonderful. That is so great. I'm so glad that you are there for our children. And um, uh, so, is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: I would just basically like to say we love what we do. Yeah. It takes passion and it takes time to really understand what's, what we need to do in our role so we can better help the community. We're willing to do that. Yeah. I'm willing to do that. And if we can be of any service to anyone, like I said, your first visit, if you feel that your child just needs somebody to talk to him we're, we're here for that. Mm-hmm. So we want to take care of not just the developmental, the physical aspect of the child. We want to take care of every aspect of the child. Mm-hmm. And we are better equipped to be able to do that.
0: That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dorothy. Thank you. To set up an appointment for your child with Dorothy, give Affinity Pediatrics Moultrie a call at 229-985-1293 or visit us online at myselfwell.com slash pediatrics. Thank you for listening to this episode of Live Well with Southwell. If you have a question for a healthcare expert or a topic you'd like us to discuss, send an email to info at Until next time, live well.